Live soft. Die hard. <laughs> the night before yesterday. <laughs> the day after tomorrow. <laughs> Save Phil. <laughs> uh, kill Bill. <laughs> Bad won't fishing. Uh, goodwill hunting. <laughs> Yeah, 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 I like a couple of my songs. I don't sound like a huge fan, but what I songs? enjoy it when it's on. Yeah, I don't know, I probably can't name you another one. Oh, Philistine. Do you think it's, uh, here's the thing, there seems to be a bit of a snobbery. Kate Bush. <laughs> Kate, Kate Bush. No, there is always seems to be a snobbery when um, a massive audience gets into a new one, song. gets into an artist, when their the artist's music is used in uh, some... You only like show. that because you saw it on yeah, Popular Show X. Yeah, there's always like this backlash of like, oh my God, like, so obviously we're talking about Kate Bush because it's used in Stranger Things, right? You're running, I, I, know, I know you haven't seen it, but you're aware sense. of the, you've yeah. seen the news stories yes. about like Kate Bush released Running Up That Hill in 1985 and now it's just like phew, in the charts, like bum, 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 doing amazing things. No, but that makes this. sense. That happens a lot though. But no, this is, this is like, but this is a bigger one because this is heading to number one. I don't, I don't want to say that because it's going to date. Let me say that That's again. fine. As of recording. We are recording. So maybe maybe you're listening to this and Kate Bush has made it to number one with Running Up the Hill 37 years later, which yeah. what, what amazing. What, what a story. It's great. Man. What a time to be alive. But um, I always find that when that happens, when, you know, uh, an older artist, also a very well-respected artist, and then is sort of intersected with a show which has a mass audience and people then get into a music that there's always these like anoraks in the corner who go, well, yeah, but uh, you don't really know Kate Bush because you weren't around to listen to her in 1978 first debut, actually. Yeah. And, um, people I, like you, George. But no, 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 because actually, <laughs> no, no, I, no. I, I think, I think there's, there's always a first time for hearing a song. There's always yeah. a first time for discovering stuff. I mean, you know, uh, de- I, I'm not, 500 Days of Summer, which we talked about before, mm. right? Um, not a perfect film, but I got into three major bands through that. Smith. I'm 17. The Smiths, obviously. Hall of Notes, maybe a bit. Hall of Notes. Okay. Yeah, Hall of Notes are great. And, and Simon and uh, Garfunkel. Oh, I was going to say, is it Regina Spector who does the song? And Regina in Spector. The, yes. Oh, my goodness. Regina yeah, Spector, really good. Yeah. So, you know, the I, fact that I knew those, like, without having thought about that film well, for years, is also quite a testament to the film, even though it's dated. The, music, the, the soundtrack is pretty good in that film. Yeah. And Sweet Disposition. I mean, obviously, everyone knew Sweet Disposition. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah like, that's used in that. And uh, Mushaboom by Feist. That's also in no, that know. soundtrack. You know, Hop in the kitchen. Oh, well, I'm not going to do it. What's the, what's the point if you don't know it? But um, do you know how, how else are people meant to... Exactly. Unless they grow up with someone who's from the era who loves that song. You're probably going to find it in films, TV. Not, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not... You know, you see what I mean, don't, don't yeah. you? You see these people being like, oh, you only know that because it's in Stranger Things. Or, I, oh, you only know that because it's in 500 Days of Summer. I was like, well, yeah, I do. Sure. But that's how you discover... So I think I only know... Running up that hill by Kate Bush because, uh, because the, I saw Drive and mm. that begins with tick, tick the Clock by the Chromatics, which got me listening to the Chromatics. And then Chromatics did this cover of Running Up That Hill, which I didn't realize was a cover uh. at first. So I listened to that. Then I realized it was a cover. Then I get into Running Up the Hill. Then I get into sort of the wider Kate Bush. I mean, I was already aware of Wuthering Heights, but then, you know. I remember listening to the. Um the night call song from Drive great over song. and over. Kavinsky. Boom, 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 great, boom, great boom, music. Boom. And then oh. he used to sync like his movements, like flicking off a light switch yeah. with the boom. Yeah. It's a great cover by London Grammar of that song as well. Oh yeah, yeah, a bit moody. But it's, it's all there, all there. I remember seeing, uh, I actually do quite like London Grammar. Actually, mm. Sorry, I don't yeah, remember. beautiful uh, music. I 
I remember seeing a video. I, I, I like you. I saw Drive, and I was like, "Whoa, Kavinsky, that opening oh, song! Such a film. This is so crazy." Yeah. And then I remember like googling that song, like I couldn't get enough of it. And this guy had released uh, a piano cover of it. He covered it like in a classical version of it, like four years before Drive. Mm, and one of the comments was up. like, "This guy was like." You don't realize this guy's not done this because he loves oh, Drive. Yeah. He's did this four years ago, and this has just been sitting in this corner of the internet, waiting to come forward. Now is your time. The best is on uh, sometimes like a song that's popular because of TV insert TV show. Yes, someone will comment in the YouTube. God, God I love this song. Just discovered it in Stranger Things yeah. or insert popular show, and they will get destroyed yeah, by replies. Like, oh, why would you even blah 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 blah? But like, what's what's the what's the alternative? That, do you remember there was that phase where every single Christmas the number one was the winner of the X. Factor, and yeah. it was like this year, Matt Cardle, yeah. number one. Nothing against Matt Cardle, but it kind of just swallowed up yeah. that that whole Christmas thing. It's like, would you rather it was something current that was a bit like eh, it's kind of just a byproduct of attention versus something that's actually good that's getting attention again? Yeah, I I think I know what you mean. I mean, <laughs> I think I don't know what you just said. I don't know what you just said, but. I think I think it's a shame when people you have to discover songs in a, in a, it, there's always a first time for hearing it sure. and if it reaches the new generation well that's wonderful because there will be people who listen to that song on repeat but there will also be people who stay stick around and go I'm gonna listen to more Kate Bush what if they go out and buy a Kate Bush t-shirt and they've only they've only heard of one song are they allowed to do that at the party they're wearing Kate Bush shirt oh well they, yeah I love Kate Bush running out yeah. here what other songs do you love. Uh, a deal uh, with God isn't that the same song? Just just the, <laughs> just the title in brackets. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah run up that road, uh, run yeah, up yeah, that yeah, hill. hill. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, no promises. Uh, really like it. Um, that yeah. whole album, really. But that's also that is the cliche, isn't it? The person yeah, who yeah. hears one song loves it. But name one slasher song. <laughs> slasher, thrasher. You mean no? Slasher is also there. Yeah, Kate Bush. Really like it. So, how is Stranger Things season four? Oh, because of the Kate Bush connection. Well, yeah, I yeah, assume um, that's why you uh, bring it yeah, up. Yeah, you know what? So, I haven't finished the first batch of episodes. I'm a bit behind. Mm. You know, most people have kind of barreled through them. How many but, have you seen? Uh, oh, I've probably seen, probably seen a good four, but there's seven. Okay. And, you know, before I started watching them, I was a bit nervous because uh, I wonder what's going to happen. No, no, but, but it's an interesting thing, Stranger Things, because they finished season three. You don't, you haven't, sorry, you haven't seen, seen it. I've seen season one and then I didn't love it. And I okay. just couldn't be asked. And are you happy me. for me to just, I'm happy for you to spoil it. And I think if even, you're listening to this and you haven't watched Stranger Things, you're never going to watch it. Spoilers for Stranger Things, Coming season up. four, up to the, up to the point four, that this guy but has yeah, seen it. Seen the other so, seasons. Um, Stranger Things is a funny one because it ended season three quite neatly. Has it, it been a while since the last season? Or 2019. Okay. Slightly so, exacerbated. Emotionally by pandemic <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and th- this happens sometimes when a show finishes a bit neat bit too neatly even though mm. it hasn't finished its arc it's happened in mad men they wrapped season five and it was so well done right and they had two more seasons to go that you were like ah, I, i'm kind of done emotionally I've, I've had closure yeah so at the end of season three there's this big thing where um david harbour's character gets killed off and it's like wow my god this thing but they they commit to david harbour being dead for about three minutes and then they go just kidding he's actually probably in russia he might actually be fine. At the end of season three or at the start of season four? Well, here's the thing. So at the end of season three, he's dead. And there's a huge emotional cathartic. It's a really big, great way of ending that that, that season. It really, yeah. wor- really works. And then at the post-credit sequence of season three, it's like they're in this massive gulag and you don't see him, but someone's like, don't get him out. Don't get the American out of there. 
So it, it could be, they clearly like left the door open at that point for, right. for him to be there. And I was like, I really hope they commit to someone being dead because three yeah. seasons in and all this threat, like somebody needs to die at some point. Someone no one dies to... anymore. No That's one dies. Exactly. Actually, no one dies And anymore. they don't because sure enough, uh, they did a teaser and he's fine. The character is fine. The character is alive. So yeah. that's disappointing. I have a running bet with myself that Robert Downey Jr. in The Avengers is not dead. I think that would. I think that would be a big mistake to bring about. I completely yeah, agree. People be so cynical. I, have, I know, but I have this whatever time dimension vulture. I just know he's coming. Even back. like a cameo or something. Cameo. Yeah, oh, he's not dead. So- I'm not talking about flashback. I mean, like anyway. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. So, so stranger things. So going into season four, it's like okay, you pulled. You got a neat ending. Um, despite that Hopper thing. And now you're heading into season four. You know this sort of messy link is still there. Um, There's seven episodes coming out, James. Each one is a different length. They are like feature length. First episode was like an hour and 20. Then okay. it's like an hour and 10, then an right. hour, then an hour and 16. Then an hour does and that 15. make you nervous because you don't know yes. what you're getting yourself into? This yeah. does make me nervous because... <laughs> you rather know. I'd rather, I'd rather have consistency so I can uh, allocate my time better of when to watch it. Oh, I can put that on because I know that's an hour. Is right? that bad pacing then? Are well, they pa- uh, yeah. here's okay. the thing. I, 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 I thought uh, when I see uh, those episodes with inconsistent timings, I'm like, this, is a, this strikes me as a show which doesn't know where to put its focus. You know, it doesn't know how to hold it together. So when, so when I started watching it, I thought, is this show going to know, this series going to really know where it's heading? Anyway, I'm halfway through. Look, it is what Stranger Things is always is. It's very engaging. Is it the it's last very... season? No, it's the penultimate season. It's, yeah, it's kind of... It, the final episode of this season is 2 hours and 20. It's usually... that, that's just the finale. 2.20? Yeah. It's a feature length. Each episode is feature length, right? So this season... Yeah, but like, there's feature length hour 20 and there's feature length 220. Those are completely different commitments. But anyway, the, this season is really... God, it better uh, be good. Well, here's the thing. It's it's very... It's big. It's big. They've, they've No pun intended. They have turned it up to 11, right? Okay. They've really gone ah, for it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, look, Stranger Things season four is... Uh, a bit like a season of Game of Thrones, actually. They have which so season? Oh, which <laughs> season? They have so many storylines and plots now that they mm. it, it, it spread itself so thin. It's mm. it's messy. I'm I'm in, I'm enjoying it. I'm watching it. It is what it always is. It's engaging. It's heartfelt. Great visuals. Super budget. But I have to say, like there are the first two episodes in particular. You're like. It feels like the story, um, screenwriters are like Kramer in Seinfeld driving the fire truck. Right, you know, yeah, yeah. Oh, gotcha. And he's coming at me, yeah. and I'm hot because I grabbed the wheel. The hits trying to spin around, <laughs> yeah. and they're like, it's, it's like the story is like careening around, and they're trying to like pump it full of lore, L O R E, like lore, yeah, yeah. you know, and build this new sort of world. And it's just like, what? It's like being hit over the head with just information, information, information. And mm. because of that, the scenes are kind of short. They are lacking in a bit of nuance. The dialogue is not great at all. Like, there's there's these, um, the first two episodes, there's this subplot with a bully at uh, a high school who's bullying Eleven, right? And it is the most generic school bullying you could ever see. Yeah. And I really that really bothers me because bullying is actually quite calculated and cunning and quite horrible, isn't it? Yeah. It's, quite, it's quite manipulative. But it when could, you, bullying could be done really well in fiction sometimes. Yes. Like, it, could be like it, it should be cruel. Than, yeah, to be cruel, it's quite hard, you know. Yeah. Um, thought out but this is just like oh you dropped your book <laughs> and every, like the whole school laughs as if as if everyone's on their side it's just really really like it's like the screenwriters watched one 1980s team film and went that'll yeah. do that'll do um and and they also begin this season with launching this new story 
off of characters you've never met before. I really like bringing in new characters. Mm. That's fine. You've got to expand the world. And, and I like the idea that there are bad things happening to people who aren't the main characters. Yeah. But they, in the first two episodes, they front load, they introduce like all these new characters and you're like, oh, hi. And then they're just like, and then they're dead and then they're dead and they did this thing in the past. Great. Do you remember that? Uh, no, they're right. They're dead. Oh, uh, what so by the time you get to episode three and you're back with your our regular crew it's fine but in the first two episodes they're just reacting to stuff like the main, our main character is just reacting that said i am you know it is it is pretty enjoyable one thing i want to ask is and stranger things has always had this problem wh- where's the line for when for how much you can reference something before it becomes just like you're just ripping it off right where's like the line what? between ripping something off and you know heartily playfully in, in invoking something. like taking inspiration from its style or it's well so this season of uh stranger things season four heavily heavily borrows from nightmare on elm street oh right it's, okay you've got these teenagers who you think snap too into much. this dream dream state which the real world that looks like the real world but it's actually a dream state and you've got this this boogie this bogeyman boogeyman you know, uh, creeping after them and they kind of go into this trance they can't be awoken from. And like, I mean, I saw Nightmare on Elm Street recently. That's mm. why it's in my head. But it's really strong. And then there's this bit where they, which they try and do what they always do with Stranger Things. They try and get away with it by bringing in a guest character for one episode. And it's and the, the character in it, who's been built up for a couple of episodes, is the guy who played Freddy Krueger. They bring in Robert Eglund, oh, right? Okay. So, so I was like, oh, I see. So I see what you did there. In the same way that like, Season one was a little bit like Aliens and Aliens. They brought in Paul Reiser for the second season because he's right. from Aliens. And the same way, like, there's the whole Goonies vibe with Stranger Things. And they got in Sean Astin. Who, and, you know. Fine, okay. And this one, it's like, okay, I see what you're doing. You're bringing in Robert Englund as, like, Freddy Krueger. But are you just doing a little bit of a victory lap around some, like, great 80s yeah, horror? Yeah, but, but I'm, I don't know. I th- I, I'm not sure that I can get let them off the hook. I, I, just, I just felt like it's hard because I haven't seen it, but I can see why it might feel a little bit like, oh, yeah, we're doing that. I, m- most people, roll. most people won't even get the references. Most, most, because it's reaching such a massive audience. Stranger Things, yeah, it just it's won't. Huge. It won't. But for me, I'm like, okay, like there's one thing like subtly invoking it, being playful. But you guys are really using the framework and setup of Nightmare on Elm Street to shape this whole season. I have a question about the show as a whole. Yeah. Because I know Netflix very much has this approach of like, let's commission the first series of everything and see what sticks. Does it feel like now it's in its fourth season, you said there's going to be a fifth. Does it feel like, okay, first season would have been one thing, but does it feel like the show is leading to one thing that makes sense through the entire show? Yeah, just about. It does. Yeah, that's good. I think it does. Oh, it might not have been that's always... That's my fear nowadays yeah. with the massive TV commissioning budget. It's like everything comes out. It might not have been the plan all along, but I think Stranger Things is like Works. at the front of the queue for all the money and resource that Netflix yeah. has. So they have... Whether it was pre-planned or not, they seem to be getting away with it. Yeah. Um, you know, season one was interesting. Season two is a little bit murky. Then season three was more tight and focused and great. And then this is trying to world build a bit more. Like it's just massive. It's just massive. And they, this, it can barely contain itself. And it's, 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 it's get it's sort of working. I want to just say, I, I am, I am enjoying it. And I, and I'm looking forward to finishing this batch of episodes and, you know, as ever cast a great level, love, love all the 80s shite. Um, yeah. But uh, it's just interesting when you just watch something that's full of such 
bombast and i feel like netflix's hit rate right now obviously strange things came out a long time ago the first series and it's you know been one of their biggest hits but i feel like the netflix hit rate for new stuff has become so low new films new yeah. movies i know there are some really great things on there and i've enjoyed some great things on there but for me right now netflix serves this purpose of like oh that show i used to like is on now or that movie yes. i haven't seen oh that's on and then there's loads of stuff which i go that new thing with Adam Sandler, which could be great, yeah. because I haven't read a review, not that I should be so cynical that only read reviews, I'm like, I don't have faith that the Netflix stamp on it mm. is going to really reflect that much Yeah, there was a time it. when, I, when a, like a Netflix original, I was like, oh, quality content. Yeah. Like, this meant something. You can almost that, count them on your hand. And yeah. Go, These and, are really good. And now it's just, the, the Netflix stamp is on every type of TV content, the, the mediocre, the rubbish, and the, and the great. And, and I feel like the the there's such an incentive to get that first season that hits out. I'm worried that like the brief being sent out or like the unintentional brief being sent out to all the writers is write one really good season. Just uh, make sure like- And then we'll figure it out. And we'll figure it out. Like yeah. don't, and like, you know, who has the time or the money to like, you know, plan five shows before yeah. it's been commissioned. But I worry that we've become mm. this very like consolidated- get, get your foot in the door. Get Just just worry about yeah. turning up and then we'll, we'll then actually see if you can do the job. It's not a bad point. I mean, Stranger Things, the first season came out in 2016. Yes, what? That's what? a while, but in TV world, that's a long time. That's a ago. long time, and but to still stay relevant and still stay yeah, on the streams, absolutely, it's still pretty good. But anyway, I'll, maybe I'll let you know what happens when I get to the end of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I'm just saying, like, whoa, this season's big. This season, and just about getting away with it. But yeah, talking about Netflix content, it's interesting comparing like the huge beam off of. Um, Stranger Things in terms of its storytelling with Better Call Saul, which is what I'm also watching yes. at the moment. You couldn't have two more different shows in terms yes. of their approach. And, and the Vince Gilligan shows always feel like they know where they're going. Totally. And, 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 and Better Call Saul is in its final season. Again, it's split. There's it's in the first batch of episodes now. And every time I watch it, I just think the, the storytelling and approach is so precise and clean and well-crafted. It feels mm. like you know, you're watching someone... Like a like a um, a carpenter craft a table, you know, a nice bit of woodwork. Yeah, it's just it's just beautiful. And and I was watching an episode, and I was really thinking about how what it, what is it that's working? What what it, what does it, what is it doing that works really well? And watching Better Call Saul is like being sat across from someone who's doing who's doing a card trick, right? Mm. And each episode, they'll lay out their first card. And what and and you'll have no idea what it is. So in this case, so most medical soul episodes, it's this. The episode begins with an abstract thing. It'd be a mm -hmm. tight close up of a random object, and then it'll zoom out a little bit. But you'll have no idea of the context of where this object is, and it's going through a process. And you're being told this story about this very tiny detail about something. It could be an ice cream cone. It could be like a bit of sh a shard of glass on the ground. A cinnabon. A cinnabon. Exactly. But you have no idea what it's relating to. And then it will just end and then the credits will come up and you'll think, okay, why have they shown me that? Why have they mm. begun the episode with that? that? That must come back later. And then the episode begins and it's like the dealers put down another card and you look at it and you go, okay, I think I see what's happening here. They're going to bring that in relation to that. And then halfway through the episode, they'll put down the third card and it's got nothing to do with the other two. Yeah. And it completely throws you and you're going, hang on. So how is that going to go there if that relates to that and then the episode ends 
with them putting down the fourth and final card and you go, oh, I see. I see how these things all connect. I see that that, that bit at the beginning and everything. It's perfectly crafted. And what I like mm. about Better Call Saul, it does that on both like a micro and macro level. So it, like I said, in an episode, it will do that. Mm. It will also do that in a scene. It'll begin with like, let's say that uh, there's one episode where someone's having a, a lunch date. It'll begin with their chair leg on the trying to find the right position in in because this person is nervous um but it also on a macro level at the beginning of each season of better call saul you have this non sequitur yeah. this black and white non sequitur of, of where saul is in present day as we know it post breaking bad and i just love that i love it being um it's in in the hands of someone who knows what they're doing so well and at that level of craftsmanship and it's like being titillated it's like being a child seeing a magic trick going i love oh do it do it again do it again yeah, another season yeah, yeah yeah do it again because every time they they without being showy without being over the top because it's not you know big thrills or anything better call soul they manage to thrill you by very clever simple storytelling t- tricks i'd love to see the kind of almost nolan-esque spider graph of the plot on, right, yeah. on page because i wonder if it's written similar to like what great murder mysteries are where they start with the end and work their way back in order to get to that point mm. and that's sort of a good way to go well you can't not know how your murder mystery is going to end because you have to have clues throughout the whole well it would have been way through it because it would have yeah. been like saul we know saul as this criminal lawyer as in he's a criminal lawyer yeah he, he's he's not got a moral compass but where how did he get to that point and mm. and clearly vince gilligan had that idea and the great thing about medical saul is that you know, it, they made it after the after coming off the back of Breaking Bad, which might spell spelt disaster for some people. But actually, it's like they were at the height of their powers. Yeah, they'd they'd honed the Breaking Bad storytelling. How many years tool. between finale and the start of Saul? Uh, like n- only just under two years. Oh, it's a really fast. Yeah, turnaround. really fast turnaround. Yeah. And and you can tell it's like they didn't have time to go away and do something else. They they're they're, they're experts are doing that breaking bad world uh, building that world and then they turn up to breaking um, better call saul and just fly with it that's yeah. why i think better call saul is better than breaking bad because it starts great and continues like that whereas breaking bad took the first two seasons to really find itself it's so breaking brad bros Break, breaking <laughs> bad bros are all like what typing now furiously hey, breaking bad is on a but, you know time. but then I, I would say to these breaking bad bros like well where are you for better call saul because i'm sure they are loving it. but better call saul was like the, the quiet show that didn't get the loud attention because it hasn't got people getting dissolved in a bucket of acid I also, I also, yeah I, mean, I also think like in typical Vince Gilligan fashion, that show, as you've just very well described, it creeps up on you slowly. Yeah. And it gives you just enough evidence or just enough just little, little nibbles, yeah. just enough information for when it hits. And you go, oh my God, yes. I'm so rewarded now. I've done three, yes. four, five seasons. Really yes. respecting the intelligence of the... And the attention span almost. But it's, it's like, do you remember that thing I showed you two seasons ago? Yeah, like, oh my here God. Here it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing, because there are big gaps between the seasons of Better Call Saul. But just comparing that with like, Stranger Things, where at, currently with Stranger Things season four, they are front-loading the information all the time just yeah like, hey we need you to know this in this scene right now because we are building towards the final of stranger things so you must know this don't this forget it anyway better call saul it's it's wrapping up it's just so well crafted i love it i am desperate to go into the new season but i just feel like it's been it's been years since i've done it i'm going to go back from the beginning treat myself to it all Enjoy the way it. through because i know how rewarding it will be but yeah nice. can't wait can't wait Okay, James, I think we should talk about TV today, mm. right? You and I have talked about TV here and there throughout our show, and we talked a little bit earlier about Stranger Things and Better Call Saul. But the thing is, TV is so big now that it's time to sort of dedicate a whole, whole episode to just 
looking at how TV has changed, I think, mm. and, 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 and how we consume it because it's changed so much in the past decade. So I kind of want to focus now on just like the last 10 years. Okay. Right? In the last 10 years, let's say 12 years, it sort of goes like early, the early last decade, right? Yeah, okay. Since then, the way we consume television, the way we think of television has changed so much that to, to talk about TV from then and now, it's almost incomparable. You know, it was called the golden age of TV, right? I mean, they called it that because it was the referencing. People still say it's yeah. The, oh, well, technically, it's the second golden age yeah. TV because the first one's maybe the fifties, right? So this was like, oh, this is like the new golden age of TV. I feel like you could even chapter it in a more fine way. To well, be honest, like you could. What I wanted to do is, I thought, you know, you and I have watched a lot of shows as mm. well as films, and and there was a lot of craftsmanship. Then there's a lot of shows that we really, really love. I wanted to run through the sort of typical tentpoles of the golden age of TV. Okay, get your kind of take on them, but also. Uh, throw you some shows that I think are relevant within that, that I think don't get mentioned as much, okay? Fine. So just for context of people, when we talk about the golden age of TV, it's, as I said, begins at the, the sort of beginning of the last decade, and it takes the baton from prestige TV in the first decade of the noughties, right? So yeah. when you think of things like The Sopranos, The Wire, um, The West Wing even, and yeah. moving into later Mad Men and Breaking Bad, these very um or even like band of brothers is a really early yeah band of, although that's 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 different because like that's a limited event. limited series fine okay thing. but but uh, i agree a band of brothers by the way hasn't dated at all like it's such a great show yeah um that's a box set i see at everyone's house it's a great everyone's show. got ba- band so of brothers good. on dvd oh yeah i could watch that every five years sorry for the <laughs> no 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 it's great so that's that's what i call typically prestige tv and just to on that point frame this conversation a lot of these shows are typically American because that's where the kind of the trend is being led. Yeah. And um, a lot of them are dramas. But with that, so those kind of shows, The Sopranos, The Wire, they kind of pioneered you know, deeper storytelling, much more well-crafted uh, writing, much more uh, cinematic influences. And then at the beginning of the last decade, it just kind of took off. So really, I, I kind of see this beginning with House of Cards, Sure. Coming onto Netflix in 2013, which was not Netflix's first original. Do you know no. what Netflix's first original drama series was? Not Orange is the New Black. No, no, no. Good guess though. Uh, no, go on. What it is was it? Lily Hammer. Do you remember no, no, Lily Hammer? For me, is almost nostalgic for being like that era of Netflix wow. when, like, that was. The, do you remember it had like Stephen Van Zandt from The Sopranos in it? Yes. And, it, and it, he'd like moved to Scandinavia and he was a mob guy. Vaguely, but and I've always thought about it. I'd always be like, yeah. oh, Netflix makes their own shows. Moving on, but I think House of Cards was a real definitive step, turning point. And I remember sure. it just sort of being talked about at the time it had, it had a really good you know what also it had a really good mass appeal for different generations yes. i think everyone was attracted to it and it was like oh i've not i need to go watch that house of cards exactly. anecdotally i felt like oh they've got house of cards don't they yes. on netflix and that was such a per, it's a subscription enabler I so think. you at, at the time you had very prestigious talent with kevin spacey yep. you also had david fincher helming it um you know right off right off the back of the social network directed the pilot and everything. Dragon Tattoo. yeah really his influence on it was was huge and you visually had, as well it was a fincher-esque totally uh, yeah so, so you, a, a real real pedigree there you had the sort of um the writing bo willimon i think was the showrunner yeah. sort of playwright before and um it was also based on a very prestigious british british television show from, from like 30 years before yeah but um with House of Cards, I think that was the moment people saw, well, Netflix um, are, are serious about making big, big spectacles. As good as something that as could good be as on something. an HBO, right? Yep. Yeah. And as good as something that could be in the cinema, right? So first of all, I just want to get 
Gemini Thoughts on House of Cards, did you watch it? Re- really liked the first few seasons, and then I think it ran out of steam, never finished it, because when my opportunity to finish it was there, I knew about Kevin Spacey, the drama of Kevin Spacey dropping out, and the fact that the show mm. didn't feel like it was going anywhere. Kevin Spacey issues aside, I felt like, uh, I don't really feel like this is going to land a plane. I've moved on. I also feel like in the years that it took for those last few seasons to come out, TV, as I'm sure you're going to reveal, yeah. had also moved on, and I just never really felt not, that compelled to go back. Yeah, not just TV, but I think I've spoken about this before on the show, but but politics as well. Oh, so, God, yeah, so that's so when worth it be- mentioning. In 2013, you're like the height of the Obama oh my God, era, yeah. slick politicians. That, so the first season was 2013. 2013, right? That's when it comes out. But, you know... By 2016, Trump, Trump's uh, election, in it, it completely changes our perception of how politics of work. It takes the steam out of that show completely. Yes. This whole it's, idea that it's like whispery people being all conniving behind the An affair. Ooh, yeah, 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 I know. <laughs> That's I know. Um, we have people storming the Capitol this year. That exactly, happened this exactly. year. So uh, House of Cards, in the space of only five years, managed to date and sort of wither on the vine. Yeah, like their stolen election plot. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, sorry, yeah, but that's the thing. House of Cards was 2013 years. to 2018. It's amazing in five years how it went yeah. from being the hot show. And I, I like you, I watched, I think, four seasons, loved it. Yeah, four seasons. And then is. something happened. I think I just, I think it was just too much of the same. Like, there was just, you needed a bit more victory. Like, there was no, mm, the, very relentless. The, the idea of bringing down Frank was taking a bit too long and it was a bit relentless so i never went back to it then trump won and it was like well this is out of date now this is expired and then i never finished and then obviously the kevin spacey drama happened kind of overshadowed the whole Mm. thing and i thought i'm not going to finish it because i know i know that was not the intention of how you're going to finish this drama do you think also one of the usps of house of cards is how you always said it's cinematic and it's slick Mm. do you think that that usp wore off as everything else yes exactly just as equally cinematic and i I think house of cards fired the starter pistol and for the mm. first three years it was able to maintain a sort of dominant position as like the prestigious tv show yeah but then increasingly as the years went on more and more prestigious shows came through as i'm about sort of to talk about i think a really important show within the history of that golden age of tv is in 2014 the year after is when true detective comes out yes and i remember seeing these big billboards with matthew mcconaughey and mm. woody harrelson on it, looking at it thinking that should be a film that that is for all intents and purposes, a movie that has been extended, deepened, and crafted into a TV series. Mm. Ironically, of course, Woody Harrelson began in TV. He's one of those few actors that made the leap from yeah. TV to, to film. And, you know, True Detective, it stands up for, you know, it's incredibly cinematic, has that extended take, and, you know, and Carrie Fukunuga, mm. who went on to do Bond recently. Yeah. Great show, but it was like, but it, I remember there was something that's like, oh my god, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson are doing a TV show, yeah, that's like looks and feels like a, a film. The writing is so sharp as well, like, you yeah. get in there and you're like, whoa, that first that first season of True Detective is, yeah, it's pretty excellent. I've, I've not seen the second one, I just watched the first one. Well, because I've heard there's well, a yeah. caveat I was going to talk about True Detective, yeah. and that it also set up this example of a bit like how you're talking before, um, about great first season. And then not really knowing what to do with the success of it right. in the second season, okay? So True Detective, I, d- I don't think there is a stronger example for a, a great first season and a rougher second season. So season two of, of sure. True Detective comes along and it's, it's got all the classic, like, fatal flaws. Bigger, louder, more storylines. You have four main characters... Colin Farrell, mm-hmm. Vince Vaughn. Well, Vince Vaughn was like one of his first like serious roles. Yeah. Rachel McAdams, Taylor Kitsch. Right. And I don't know why I've built that up to imagine there's like a fifth person. That was that was the fourth, yeah, right? Yeah, fine. 
And it was so overstuffed. I remember in the first episode, it's one of the few times on the TV that I've had to pause and rewind a scene three times because the dialogue was so incomprehensible. I couldn't understand what 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 the characters were asking each other to do. There was a, I remember there's a bit where Colin Farrell goes to the police station to meet his like blowhard superior. And the dialogue is so generic um oh. hammy and non-specific and and also there's doesn't help the casting with tv there's like there's noise upstairs there's mumbling sure, yeah. and you're like what is what is what is going on and that that show really that season was so so messy and i i wanted to mention it because also that happened with mr robot did you ever watch mr robot i watched a few episodes and i, I just for some reason didn't get into it oh interesting I, I, I loved the first season yeah. and again that that invoked kind of in clever ways a bit of cinema. I remember the character of Tyrell Wellick in Mr. Robot was like a little bit of Patrick Bateman, a little bit of Fight Club, a little bit of this stuff. And yeah. it, was, it was really exciting and I loved it. And then season two, it's bigger, more storylines, yeah. more stuff. And it's clear that the, the the writers just weren't ready to, they might have fashioned this this great first season over two years because they were pitching it around mm, to people so they'd had time. Yeah. But then they're given six months to turn it around into season two. Yeah. And they're like, oh my God, I have to make this into a compelling show. And it, and it was rough, really, really rough. And it actually killed that show for me because I got to the end of season two and I thought, I can't watch any more of this. This is why and, I don't go back and watch it because I hear that. Exactly, things, and it yeah. just puts you off. And I had people come to me saying, oh no, no, season three gets much better. I'm like, that's too late. You're asking me to sit through, what, 10 hour long episodes to get to that point? You know how many times you and I have said, TV is so great because you get to spend so much time with the characters and isn't it wonderful that you can take years to tell a story and in so many ways that's amazing yeah. but also taking years to tell your story yeah. you can lose people yeah things too. change budgets change writers change yeah. directors change stars come in and out yeah. and like it's actually this really impossible balancing act yeah i mean I, yeah I, 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 and I sorry know. the other thing you're saying about you know watching it at home you're prone to so many distractions how much does that affect how people are going to write tv shows mm. versus like the movie experience i assume you're watching it in a cinema we hope true yeah suck it all out i've got your attention tv is so much more of like you're going to pause it here and there you might mm. run in and out you yeah. might stop episodes halfway through are you binging it we don't know i think it's also i'm just we spoke true detective is interesting because obviously you have big name talent at the time coming into TV. So 2014 yes. is significant for True Detective. Can I just go back to that? Because Matthew McConaughey was on, that was his like year. He'd won an Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club. He had yeah. that standout scene in Wolf of Wall Street. It's going to be an in interstellar. And then he comes onto TV at the, like the peak of the McConaissance. Yeah. Comes on TV. That's when people are like, no, TV have got the hottest talent right now. Yeah. Okay. But interesting with Mr. Robot and also later with Stranger Things, they, there, you see this trend that began to happen where sort of former movie stars who weren't really breaking through anymore in main films were having opportunities and roles given to them in these upcoming TV projects. So with Mr. Robot, it's Christian Slater. Yeah. And with um, Stranger Things, it's Winona Ryder. These yeah. former stars, you know, different from a different era, from a different decade, that are then giving, like, given like a second life with a different generation. Mm. And it works in their favor and it kind of revives their career. Um, also, I think to a lesser extent, but just the big little lines is another series where great first season i absolutely yeah, loved it i remember everyone talking again, about it yeah. again full of big talent and it was just by that point just assumed that that's what tv could get it mm. could get nicole kidman and reese witherspoon and shining huge, huge stars um, say it like that. second season is good but it just doesn't really need to exist right first okay. season is, is yeah. really great um and then we head into 2016 now i've, I've made this point before and i don't want to labor it again but the whole thing with westworld right that that's yes. why that's when you've had like the ascendancy period where TV has become prestigious and prestigious and, and is, is building up. And then I think when you get to Westworld, it's like, that's the moment where TV peaked and everyone was like, 
it's like the um, stock market. It's like, go make TV now. Yeah. Go, Every, yeah. everyone, Here's just do what you million can. Dollars, 100 million dollars. 100 million dollars. I don't care, just cram it full of talent. Um, and also I think it's important to say in the background context of this is Game of Thrones. Which you could arguably say was the biggest show of the 2010s. Biggest show, absolutely. Yeah. So that show began in 2011. And yes, every fair. year it became bigger and bigger. And as the conversations went on and on and people became more and more obsessed about got it. bigger literally in its budget yeah. and its scale. And, yeah. and, and, and that also shaped how TV was because at first it was like, oh, this show, which looks very silly it's actually very deep and, and full of well um, and good writing and by yeah. the end it was like these shows are as big as blockbusters each episode of game of thrones by the end was costing what a million uh, two million something like ten, something ten million? No, it was like, like, it was like 10 million wasn't it, it was the last million. series was insane i don't know i can't remember off the top of my head but, it, but it was exactly. in the millions per exactly. episode whereas so, they started with like less than a hundred thousand so just charting game of thrones on its own is almost charting like the, yeah the structure of i think that that was the thing about game of thrones is that I, I think in in passing, I've seen shows that look like Game of Thrones, but yes. come and go like Britannia, or that's post Game of yeah, Thrones. Yeah. But I feel like I've seen other shows that have that kind of vibe. But Game of Thrones always was like, no, all the writing, yeah. the story's actually really good and it's compelling. And it yes. had this, I think the, its hook was, what, how is it going to end? That was like, well, what will happen? And that was also its fatal flaw. We can talk about Game of anyway, Thrones well, well, and well, hold other time. But yes. Well, I mean, of, I mean, well, we in, well, in a way we can say it now because I'm just looking at my sort of timeline. From like 20 post Westworld and until 2019, I think 2019 is a really important year, not just because it's the end of the decade, but <laughs> the end of our lives as we do it. <laughs> but we've got, you know, more and more content being put up. But I think 2019 is almost not the end of the golden age of TV, but the beginning of the post golden age of TV. Okay. Because first of all, Game of Thrones ends, right? Yeah. This big show that has defined all this content fin finishes, right? And the, the, the era of obsessive, obsessive, obsessive uh, watching kind of stops and no show really is there to fill its place. You kind of just go on and watch your other thing. But by that point, by 2019, we are so used to TV being so high quality that Game of Thrones leaves the TV landscape in a completely different way. Secondly, in 2019, the big thing that happens is that Disney Plus enters the arena. Yeah. And when Disney Plus enters and is making TV shows that are based on films... Uh, interweave with films with like the Marvel things. So they, they entered 2019 with The Mandalorian, but then they, you know, but that just says to you this era now of, of, of TV being a breakaway and flourishing on itself outside of film mm. is kind of over because the boundaries now are, are, are wiped out. With Disney moving into the market, it's where, where do you draw the line? Between, you know, Loki relates to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and WandaVision and all this, and the Mandalorian. So you could easily argue, and I could base this on discussions I've had with friends, where like TV feels like the first instinct of what people want to watch in, exactly. in, in a week, yeah. and they will then go, oh, I could go and see a film in yeah. cinema. But that is not like now the default exactly. response. Yeah, TV has moved into that place. I so, I, so I think now when there are big shows out, it's, it hasn't got that same excitement of, oh my God, there's loads of new things coming through. I remember in like 2015, it was like, there's so many good TV shows now coming yeah. through. And it was, it was like a novelty. And I remember it was particularly like my parents were like, you don't understand how bad TV used to be yeah. and how little TV there was. This is something else. But now it's, uh, it's what we've come to expect. But I also wanted to, I, I think those are the very fairly typical tent poles when people sort of think about the golden age of TV. Are I'm there sure any, there are many great shows I mean, are there, that are there, any, are there any but... that come to your mind that I've missed? Because <sighs> I have a few. At the top of my head, no. Did I write something down for this? I would say one that comes to mind as a TV show in the UK is Sherlock as a big tent pole. Because okay. I remember that being... After, when did that come out? 2009, 2010? 2010. So, oh, no, no, yeah, it might have been, uh, whatever, 2010. But I then think, it, yeah. took a, it, took, it took a long break. But yeah. that show I remember being significant because 
it had not big, not huge stars at the time. That was the first time I think yeah. I really knew who Benedict Cumberbatch was. But that felt like a really big TV event. When yes. those three weeks were on, I remember everyone was like, oh, no, no, yeah. I'm going home to watch Sherlock. Mm. I love it. Have you not seen Sherlock yet? It's like this new modern take, 90-minute mm. episodes. Never seen TV do 90 minutes before. Mm. And then I remember the end of season two happening, that ending happening, and everyone wanted to know yeah, yeah, yeah. what happened. So I remember like when season three came out, everyone was so desperate yeah, to yeah, yeah. get more of it. I don't think season three was as good as the first two seasons. but I um, stopped watching Sherlock. I can't remember how far it got. Is it, just, oh. is it, is it open for it to come back at any time, is it? Yes, I didn't like the ending. I, I can't even remember it that well because it kind of felt a bit flat. Because it only came out in three episode chunks every yeah, like, yeah, so, two, three yeah. years. And also then Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman got so successful. Yes, that I couldn't... remember Yeah, Martin Freeman was shooting The Hobbit, which was like a two, three year undertaking yeah. and doing Sherlock at the same time. Yeah. And he actually turned down The Hobbit because of Sherlock commitments, which he'd already, he already said yes. agreed to do Sherlock. Yeah. Peter Jackson delayed and restructured the entire shooting of The Hobbit to get Martin Freeman to good do on it. Him. Which is like a good, wow. What a leap well, of faith. It's funny mentioned that as a British show because another I just that, I've come no, to no, mind but now I've come through the temples there are, are a couple of things that don't get mentioned that much but I think are significant so the night manager do you remember that in yeah I didn't see it but I know I, I, I didn't see it either but that was a clear indication that came out in 2016 you know huge prestigious cast it had Hugh Tom, Hidd Tom Hiddleston Hugh Laurie Olivia Coleman Tom Hollander and yeah, Olivia, Elizabeth Debicki and it was this like, very much this sense on a British scale of like oh this is like prestigious TV now this is golden age of TV this yeah. is like um, cinema level uh, quality coming to us on BBC One yeah. every, every week and I, I think that's interesting you can feel the ripples spreading out across the world that yeah. audiences are starting to, to demand better higher quality I actually think the, Brit um, the Night Manager was a co-commission between British and American TV as well right, which, okay. which probably Travels helped a lot oh, the, the Crown as well like towards from what yes, 2016 I can't believe I didn't yeah, Crown, yeah. Crown comes on Still I think that's it you know between Westworld and Game of Thrones ending I think that's the Crown is the kind of definitive thing as well uh, uh, people will say Downton Abbey I can never get into Downton it Downton Abbey's pre I think it's yeah, pretty. It this I it think was like an, it was like an X. I think it used to always come on after the X Factor. Yeah, but, but obviously, it obviously did, yeah, enjoyed, and then it did very well in America. Yeah. Um, I also want to say, uh, Stranger Things. Uh, we talked about it in a different way earlier, but I think it's significant in terms of the relationship between TV and film because Stranger Things is a TV show mm. that just draws so heavily, so directly on cinema and film language and film references. Yeah. But it's interesting that it's evolved to the point where it's in a TV show. I just I yeah. just always found that quite funny. It's not it's almost it can't be a pastiche because it's not a film. If that right. oh, if all those things and strange things had been a film, you'd go yeah, yeah. they have a knockoff. But because it's a TV show, they kind of Yeah, no, I see what you mean. Do you think we're also more receptive to TV shows because they're like like stranger things like that because it's more like a game like you can there's more explore, exploration in it there's more time it's probably just like every single time an episode ends your mind gets to stop and wonder yeah. that's probably what tv has on its yes. side because a film doesn't stop True. unless you do unless True. you're watching a trilogy of something yeah and then you return just thought sorry just quickly on the crown i think i think i was ready i was very ready when the crown came out to be quite cynical of it and call it stupid but i don't especially the first two seasons yes. i always thought you know what this is really well written i'm now so into my mm. british royal history which i've never been into before that's why i think that show is good it took me by surprise i i i totally agree i actually think the crown came out just at the right time because um i, I like you was like oh this just looks like royalist propaganda i'm yeah. interested but crucially, it was, came out in 2016, which is the year of the Brexit vote, right? And I remember yeah. it coming out in this era of just like complete fractured national identity and just kind of like, <laughs> what does it mean to be British? Mm. And here comes this show that presents Britain 70 years ago mm. and gives you this sort of history lesson. 
and I just I don't know why it just sort of sat very was well a great with me history lesson, yeah. during that time and it's the, the, you know those fractious Brexit years where there's something about watching The Crown in that time that was just kind and of was a nice fix. An episode finishes and like it's a silhouette of the steely resolve of the Queen and the credits roll and I'm like this is Britain it yeah. shall remain and the monarchy will endure above all. <laughs> it's like yes. I, I mean, <laughs> are you are you how do you feel about The Crown now? Um, I thought so it doesn't like the coming seasons. We've got two more left. So I really liked Claire Foy's ones. I liked season i didn't th- i thought season three was an off season and i liked season four but not as much as claire foy's seasons i agree i think the first two with claire foy and matt's fantastic, fantastic. really yeah. prestigious great and great performances i think the olivia coleman seasons look i like olivia coleman <laughs> i don't i i just don't think that the crown was her strongest role no I'm not say i'm not saying that it it was necessarily her i just think it wasn't a right fit something doesn't work i just don't when i when i watch her as the crown i don't mm. believe her i just don't i don't i'm not I'm, something's not gelling whereas tobias menzies as philip is wonderful oh yeah and josh brilliant. o'connor is as you know it's charles is fantastic mm. but there's something that didn't gel with me with that also i had like a structural problem with season four which is uh which is kind of un- inescapable because th- that is just the story of the royals but season four comes along and it's like we've got the queen we've got margaret thatcher and we've got princess diana you've got three of the most famous women in the past hundred years 100%. in 10 episodes it is impossible stru- yeah. structurally to cover all of those three women in an appropriate and proportionate way so thatcher would appear for an episode go away for three episodes and come have their back. Own show. exactly I, I felt that i'd be like what yeah. is that all we're gonna do with yeah that? That, is that all that, we're gonna, yeah and then always oh, bring that uh, so so and also as a result it can't really go very deep so it has to maintain surface level and so mm. the bits of thatcher that you get are like yeah we all kind of know that part of the story and a little bit with diana too and the queen almost becomes like a supporting character very much so i think that's what's yeah. been a hard transition for us is that i think we're still very much latched onto the queen mm. that we're now like being told no 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 it's charles and it's it's this like please pay attention to that but i would be in, i would i'm interested to see how they land the plane the, the thing is is that melda staunton that obviously the diana storyline is is a major part of it now and the diana storyline is is just so sad and so overwhelming but whereas in the early seasons there were the story was about many different things it really is only about diana in this one the show's focused mm. is, is really about a single issue and that's fine. It's but what you can happened. Argue royals in that era was very single issue almost. Yeah, of course. If you think about nineties royals, you just think about where do you think they're going up to? I think they're going up to the two thousand and two jubilee because that was sure. just after Margaret died and just after the Queen Mother died. They're doing two. They're literally going to do two more seasons, and that's it. Is it just one more? There's two more. They, two they more. did say one more, and then they changed their mind and they said they were going back to two. Okay. Yeah. Uh, turn of the millennium sounds about right. I can, I'm just trying to think about. 90s now yeah because i guess you want to do you want to you want to fire, fire at windsor house tony windsor blair Castle. coming in is blair. a very big uh full Moment stop in. of like new british yeah. in the 21st century yeah sure why not i'm trying to think what comes after that what comes after blair? well diana dies actually six months later right okay okay so and that's then, where you and then five then you, five years later you have the the jubilee anyway back to tv we'll so that was the thing with the crown there are just two shows i want to mention as well that are significant in this period is that um a show i've mentioned before Halt and Catch Fire. Do you remember that? Did I talk about it on the show? Maybe. Or is it the other podcast I do? <laughs> so Halt and Catch Fire, terrible name. Terrible show. <laughs> it, is, it is a show that I have not met a single person who has seen. If anyone is listening has watched Halt and Catch Fire, please do let me know. So um, 
came out in 2014. It is this show about the tech boom in the 80s, right? And it's about um, the the first season is about the race to make a a, a personal computer, right? So you're you're against IBM, you're against Microsoft, you're against Apple. They're trying to make a personal computer. The second season is about like the beginnings of the internet and chat rooms and things like that. And the third season is uh, search engines, I think. And I have even had a fourth season. Good show, but the reason I mention it is not to just again be like, oh, this show is great and it was underwatched. It was, it was actually just fine for the first two seasons then got really good towards the end. But I only think, only in the golden age of TV, when so much money, time and resource was put into TV production, would a show like Halt and Catch Fire be able to sustain itself for as long as it did? Right. So a show that was fine, barely anyone watched, was about a very niche topic. I think now it would be either wouldn't get made again. It, you know, we're back to where we started. It wouldn't get made or it would be dead after one, after one season. Mm. I think just because they were investing so much in TV, they kept it going, which was nice. In a way, it existed in this little pocket of time. So you are able to watch a show that was allowed to flourish because of this boom, you know, booming period. But you wouldn't get that now, I don't think. Um, and then Mindhunter, yes, I know I've mentioned that before as well, but I think that's significant. So Mindhunter, the, again, David Fincher's show, another show for Netflix, yeah. so Post House of Cards. I think that should, Mindhunter, which was, they made a season, great, then they made a second season, and obviously it's all about the FBI profiling serial killers in the 70s. It's actually about the team that came up with the term serial killer. There's oh, no, yeah, I remember yeah. saying. Um, but but that, David Fincher said after that, I'm not making any more, it's too exhausting, I can't do it, I'm not mm. making any more. And it's almost like Mindhunter is an example of how the limits of the golden age of TV were reached, right? And that also came out in 2019. And what I mean by that is, that was a show that had a big budget, was made by a big streaming service, but it but it couldn't, it, but it was about such a niche topic that what well, I think one of the directors said, for the amount of eyeballs that it got and the amount of money that it cost, we just couldn't sustain it. Mm. And it's like, Five years earlier, maybe they could have kept it going because it was like, look what TV can do. And it's like, this it's almost too deep. It's too far. We have to rein it in. And it's just interesting to see that in an era, in a decade that was all about exploration and expansion of TV, that's almost like the limits. There is a limit to create, even if it's creativity, financial, whatever. It's like- Touch the walls. Yeah, we've touched the walls. We're Truman. We're reaching the walls of the dome and we can't, we can't go any further. You know, you know what show people have said came out too early, which I hear is great and I haven't seen, is Hannibal with Mads Mikkelsen. Yes. I, I heard it. so many people like, oh my God, Hannibal, Hannibal. And it, it got canceled and then yeah, re yeah. recommissioned and then eventually canceled again. And it was like such an outpour of all yeah. like, it's really small, but very loyal fan base. And you almost think, what what if a show, do we have more of an appetite for a show like that now with yes. that talent? Yeah, uh, I can't speak to it. I've only heard that it's good. I yeah. wish I, I'm the problem because I no, heard no, no. it was good and didn't see it. But yeah, it's like similar. Like if something had come at the wrong period yes. in, this, in this 12 years. Yeah, there you go. We weren't ready. Um, and then on last, I just want to say that there are, then you still get those kind of strange shows that come in and burn bright for a season. And then that's it, limited season. So I mean, uh, Dope Sick and Watchmen come in. Yeah. Like I mean, Dope, Watchmen in particular, ten years before was made into a film. Now it's being made into a TV show. Mm. Much more interesting. Much more uh, relevant socio political take with um, Oscar winning talent in it. Regina King was in that, and. Um, that's where that's where we've got to. So another show that came out just recently is The White Lotus, yes. which you and I very much enjoyed, and I felt like really mm. got everyone talking about it. That is, you know, had its first series, and I hope it continues to mm. keep up its quality, or it'll just become like another anecdote like this one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think 
White Lotus is also an anthology series. Do you remember? Yes. The, do you know? I, I, I'm surprised they're still doing that. You know, like, like Fargo, True Detective, True Detective and, yeah. Black Mirror. There, there are these uh, anthology series where it's different each time. And I don't know. I feel like that's kind of passe now. I feel like that's kind of over. That kind of era of the anthology. I mean, maybe yeah, I'm wrong. Think? Oh, actually, I have a, I have an idea for season two of White Lotus. <laughs> okay. they, they've probably already written it. They're probably already they're shooting scratching it. their heads. But I was like, I think, I, assuming that it's going to take place at another White Lotus resort, assume so, with a different staff and different guests yeah i think it should all be about a wedding the whole thing oh great idea huge wedding party pressure right yeah and the finale is building to the wedding and you've got a huge wedding party there and you've also got the guests who aren't part of the wedding you've got this friction between people within the wedding party and those who aren't the wedding party great idea and it's just building towards this thing in the finale get me on board guys if you're listening he does writing consulting now (laughs) (laughs) he'll do it all george yeah He's gonna. George will come up. He'll tell you all about his little chapters of TV. Yeah. <laughs> where you, where you've been, where you're going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. This is the future. Anyway, so look, that was the golden age of TV. I, 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 that's my sort of take on it. That's my discursive view. And I thought it was just fun to just pick out some shows that have defined our previous years of. And viewing. obviously, there are probably a thousand shows you're screaming at your phones or your yeah. laptops, going, "You didn't mention this." We can't mention all the shows, but I'd love to hear shows that you find are like definitive yeah. for your time, or even feel free to talk about the noughties or even like this period now. Just like send us things you think have been like quite defining. In yeah, what, what was a show that you've watched in the past 10 years that you thought, wow, that's changed the way I think about TV. Mm. That's changed the way I watch things now. Different era, but I would say in the noughties, Lost Mania was huge. Of course, like, yeah. And, and it, like, those first few seasons, I mean, I, we talked before on the show about how it can sustain itself yeah. and the writer, the writer strikes problems that it deal with, but I remember the mania for that show. That had at the time of it shot the most expensive pilot that was ever mm. shot for a tv show and it's jj abrams not big stars attached but they all became fairly yeah, big yeah. in their own right in that era that's one that comes to mind but i'm just they're mm. all just coming to me now so tv i mean the term tv itself mm. is so almost arbitrary and we like should do passe. the another time yeah yeah we'll i want to talk about like like 24 being <laughs> genre like such wow. a byproduct yeah. of this era talk about Talk about that show. That has not aged well no, at no, all. I remember you saying. Um, and then you've got that like tween One Tree Hill OC era. Yeah, yeah. Um, all uh, the vampire. There's all the vampire, the vampire ones. Supernatural, yeah. all that. Anyway, whole other, we whole don't whole other stories. But that was the golden age of TV. Having just talked about the golden age of TV, James. Mm. If I was to say to you now, because the problem with the Golden Age of TV is that we also have streaming services left, right, and center, and Loads. watching TV has never been this expensive. Okay. Yeah. So if I said it's creeping to you, back up to like the old levels, it's the beginning of the year, and for this whole year, you can only watch and be, be subscribed to one streaming platform. Which one are you going to choose? For one year. For one year, all the others you have to cancel. You're tight. You cancel. You're, you're tightening your belt. It's a big question because you know what? It's not Netflix. It isn't, is it? Because, okay, Disney Plus has the best archive. Pure yeah. backlog. Yeah. Disney Plus. And they've not been around for as much. But I think, I think I would do Apple, you know. Interesting. Which is out there. But like, there they have fewer shows, but I feel like they're trying to be the next HBO. Right. I can't get HBO in the UK, but I get those through Sky yeah, and just yeah. like they trickle through in UK yeah. services. But like HBO is a really obvious one. But I think I would do Apple. And I think they haven't quite got it yet. But mm. just, I think, this year, in the last six months, a lot of the shows that are coming out are starting to hit. And I think it's only a matter of time before yes. Ted Lasso isn't their only hit. 
Yeah, I mean, I, that's it. I, I, I don't have Apple TV so anymore. So, yeah. so and when I did have it, it was like very early days. So I think I will... I want to see C with Jason Momoa. Yeah, it was all that stuff. Yeah. So I, I agree, it wouldn't be Netflix. Netflix is the thing you use to watch the stuff you've already seen. It is. Having, I mean, I know I did begin this episode by saying I'm watching the new season of yeah. Stranger Things and the new season of Better Call Saul. Yeah. But I, I would just say most of the time I use it to watch old episodes of The American Office. But, but the Netflix, that factor of enjoying Netflix is going to run out because every other distributor is getting their own streaming service. So everything right. that's Paramount, yes. I sure now assume now is on Paramount Plus, yeah. all the Disney stuff will come off. So Netflix's back catalog, yes. they're either going to have to pay a lot of money to host yes. or I it's know. just not going to be there. With with I, I actually think it could be Disney for me. Do you think? Because the shows are big and blockbuster and glossy and, and, and really, you know... Star Wars, your Marvel. Pretty good. Yeah, you, you've got your Star Wars, your Marvel. You've got the entire back catalogue of The Simpsons. Yes. Also, yeah, Disney library. Plus is really good at, with, through the Star channel that it has there. You know, the Star. Yeah. They have some really good films on there. I'm talking old films. I, you know, Films I've watched on Disney Plus, like Jennifer's Body and Broadcast News mm. and Working Girl. Just these random films that I haven't seen from the past that have no real relation to Disney as a franchise, Disney just happens to own them, okay? So Disney's the studio. So uh, so it, uh, it kind of covers all bases for me. I've got old classic mm. films that I haven't seen. I've got new big um, culture talking point shows that are coming out. I think it's going to be that. You know what Netflix weirdly still has has for it? And it's I think it's muscle memory, is that sometimes when I'm, I don't know what I want to watch, I will look at Netflix first. And I think yes. that is just muscle memory. Yes. But really... Disney Plus has probably got more for yeah, me to yeah, absolutely. watch. Um, I will say that the UX that is the worst is Amazon. Oh, my God. Amazon, we we haven't they, even if brought they, up Amazon. If they sorted their UX, they could be on top of the, their whole game. Because Amazon has, like Apple, again, I think Apple TV Plus could still could be better, but Amazon has like, oh, you don't have it, but it's only two ninety nine to rent for the night. It has that going for yeah, it. The option, you yes, you can rent. That That is massive. Yeah. yeah. And also you get the add-ons of like, you can have a movie subscription or a BFI you know, I just feel like the, the Amazon Prime films and shows are not of mm. the same quality. You've got like these, what? You've got like the, the Jack Ryan show. It's because it all feels Grand like Tour. a sort of one strand of a much bigger media conglomerate. Yeah. And ironically, even though like Disney is thing. one of the biggest entertainment conglomerates <laughs> yeah. there is, I still feel like all, I'm focused on being Disney Disney Channel. It's not, when I'm on Prime, there's all these other bits of like, oh, you can also go to your shopping. I feel like Disney want. Plus are in their own building. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, and also Amazon will confuse you because they'll be like, "You want to watch this? Oh, maybe, yeah." yeah. And also the tennis opens on. Yeah, and also, do you want to <laughs> yeah. watch the Manchester City Boxing. final? Yeah, that's it. Uh, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, interesting. I'm sure that'll change over time. But just thought I'd ask. They'll they'll surely do a big redesign, rebrand. Yeah, it's overdue. But yeah, uh, yeah. Stop going to space, Jeff, and focus on your UX. <laughs> Okay, George, I was in a rush today. I was okay. looking for a game. <laughs> and I went through the the endless library of Sporkle. Oh, Sporkle and great. a lot of them I was like, eh. Yeah, yeah. Can but then, explain Sporkle to people oh, who don't know? Sporkle, if you've ever, you know, pretended to revise for your GCSEs, <laughs> yeah. Sporkle is a sort of almost like a game quiz news featurette website yeah. on all sorts of different topics. There's like books, TV, gaming, movies. Imagine BuzzFeed, but instead of articles, yes. they were games. They were games. So like, can you name all the first generation 150 Pokemon? You've got 10 minutes. Can you name every single Harry Potter character? You've got yeah. five can minutes. You, can you name this company logo without the writing on it? Some of them are like, can you type numbers one to a hundred 
and how fast can you do it? I've been at office, I've wasted hours at offices competing with people like one, two, three, four, wow. and you're like trying to type out the numbers. It's just really dumb stuff. But yeah. if you need to concentrate, oh, yeah. if you want do to not go there. You're in the right place. Anyway, um, I saw one which really tickled me because of its its inherent structure, which is film antonyms. So you know a synonym is like another word yes. for something, and an antonym is the opposite. Okay. So for example, what we're going to do is I'm going to give you the antonyms of film titles, okay. and you have to tell me what film I'm talking about. Okay, brilliant. It should be fairly quick fire, yeah. but just like, for example, Tiny Mummy would be... Big Daddy. There you go. Okay, okay. so we're just going to run through these. Okay. Okay, George, tell me what these films are based on their antonyms. Ready? Okay. Quick fire. Three, two, one, go. Sunny Woman. Uh, rainy... <laughs> Dad, rainy day, rainy man, yeah. rainy, rain man. <laughs> yeah. Russian ugly. Uh, uh, American beautiful. Yeah. American beauty. Yeah. Front door. Back garden. Uh, back window. Rear window. <laughs> oh, Christ. Like I don't speak Your, English. This is good. Your worst enemy's divorce. My best friend's wedding. Yeah. Nice boys. Bad guys. Uh, bad, wait, nice boys. Bad girls. Bad mums. Bad women. Bad, say it again. <laughs> nice boys. Nice boys. Bad girls, bad women, bad, me, me, mean girls. <laughs> oh God! A lot of bad women. Uh, a few good men. <laughs> Live soft, die hard. <laughs> the night before yesterday. <laughs> the day after tomorrow. <laughs> Save Phil. <laughs> uh, kill Bill. <laughs> bad won't fishing. Uh, Goodwill hunting. <laughs> yes, state for young women. No. <laughs> Uh, was it yes, yes state for young women no country for old men <laughs> cat women ends batman begins yeah. cowardly young um uh, cowardly lung sorry lung. cowardly lung uh lung lung cowardly lung. brave heart <laughs> forward to the past back to the future you hate me woman uh, i love you man <laughs> most hate it cold some like it hot unblemished but um oh sorry un unblemished but uh beautiful and and scarface that's hard scarface oh, unblemished right. but yeah. oh i see um her boy monday his girl friday the arrived the departed <laughs> the dropout the the graduate yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the bad the good and the beautiful the good the bad and the ugly down up the stan mother the story the satan mother uh the godfather <laughs> there you go that's oh, done God. i just i saw that and i was chuckling to myself so going good. through <laughs> um, but there you go that's all we have as a game so today. stupid yet yeah, it's, it's so brilliant so entertaining uh thank you very much for listening to another episode of pulp kitchen don't forget that we post new episodes of this show every single wednesday and james you're going to check that whatsapp message you just got aren't uh, you? yeah I'm just, I'm um, don't forget that we have content coming out on the channel throughout the whole week uh stay tuned you may have just listen to this episode and think wow i'm full on pulp kitchen for this week but you'll be wrong because there's more coming you there's... might be want to know where's more yeah you might be want to know where's more full or unfull you've got reviews you've got other stuff coming out keep an eye on the channel reviews throughout. come out fridays now and you know if you could just give us like a thumbs up and a star and a like and all that stuff on the relevant channel that would be very someone uh, messaged me the other day and they said we were on 499 subscribers on youtube and they did the 500 they were like i'm the 500th i'm yes. the 500th be the 500 and something else yes. or come on make get us to 600 do it yes thank you thank Please. you bye see you next week <laughs>